morning. I pray you have your Bible and like to invite you to open them, if you have them, to the book of Exodus as we go through this book, chapter 32. You know, a lot of people say, as a New Testament church, why do we even read the Old Testament? Well, in the Old Testament tells you the heart of God. It is interesting that God gave Moses the Ten Commandments written on stone. But the Bible says in the New Covenant, God's going to write his law on our hearts of flesh. Big difference. And so this morning as we look at this, we find that Moses goes up to the mountain to receive in hard copy the Ten Commandments. While he's getting this, God speaks to him and says, Go down quickly, Moses. Your people have gone astray. He comes down from the mountain, and there we find the children of Israel, who less than 40 days before were willing to obey God. In fact, they said, all God says we will do are naked, dancing around a golden calf. Moses is filled with anger. He takes the Ten Commandments. He throws them down. He breaks them. By the way, Moses, I think, had a little problem with anger, whether it was killing the Egyptian guard or breaking the Ten Commandments. But whatever it was, we're going to talk about anger in a few minutes. But the thing is, what is really amazing is that Moses, as his anger is against the people, he still intercedes for them. If you have your Bible again, Exodus chapter 32. And by the way, when we look at these things and we look at the Ten Commandments, this is what is necessary for society to exist. Now, there's a lot of things in governments that will cause people to band together or to be forced together. In the United States, we have in our Declaration of Independence that we are endowed by our Creator. In other words, the very foundations of our country recognize God and that you are endowed by a Creator. And if you are created by God, you are created for something. The communist world, the socialist world, does not believe this. They believe that you are evolved. You're just another worker bee, another ant, get in line. And if you don't stay in line, we have guns and gulags to make you stay in line. What holds society together is either the law of God or the point of a gun and gulags. This is the difference between our form of government and the communist socialist form of government. And people need to realize, oh, it's just another way of of governing people. Oh, no, it's not, friends. It is a totalitarian dictatorship to take away your freedoms. I've said often, I believe communism and socialism is the cruelest form of government that is on the earth today. It is interesting in Seattle, Washington, that they tore down the statues of Christopher Columbus. But you know what they have there now? Statues of Joseph Stalin. Yeah, the one that murdered 20 to 30 million fellow Russians. You see, if you believe that that is a good form of government, you don't know God's word. And do you realize what we read today and what we've been reading 
is how God will judge the world and govern the world someday during the millennial reign of Christ, where the Bible says you who are believers will rule and reign with Christ for a thousand years. This is what God will be ruling and reigning with. So it's important then that we know. So we can't say, well, I'm a New Testament Christian. We have no use for the Old Testament. Simply speaks of a person's ignorance concerning God's word. Jesus said we live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus, when he said that, was referring to the Old Testament. Not in keeping the law, because now the law is written on our heart. Where Jesus summarized it as they came to him and they said, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, love God with your whole heart, mind, and spirit. And then he said, the second is likened unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. And then he said this, upon these two, not ten, upon these two, hang all the law and the prophets. This is why anybody that comes to your door trying to get you to go back under the law, Sabbath keeping, not eating pork, all those things, anybody that tries to do that does not know God, does not know God's word. Because if they did, they would understand that the commandments of Jesus, Jesus said this, if you love me, keep my commandments. That's not speaking of the Ten Commandments, friends. The two commandments that Jesus gave was to love God and love your fellow man. Isn't that the way you want somebody to treat you? Is the way you want to treat them? You see, that's what God wants from us. And so because of that, this is why it's important to know not only how is God going to judge the world someday, i.e. the Old Testament, but how the law of God, when Jesus reigns from Jerusalem, Israel, and you will be his ambassadors, what you will be doing. I like to know ahead of time what's going on. I don't want to go to heaven and look at the, you know, the, the emerald rainbow above the throne and the creatures going up and go, what the, what's that? Like a bunch of country bumpkins. The Bible tells us what that is. If you read Revelation chapters 4 and 5, if you look at Isaiah chapter 6, you get this picture of the heavenly scene. What's going to be there? Why is that important? To know how God's going to run the world, judge the world someday. Not that you will be judged because Jesus Christ took your judgment on the cross. But how an ungodly world. Now remember, during the millennial reign of Christ, some seven year north of today, the Bible says that we will reign over the earth with Christ. Remember, there's going to be people that make it through, amazingly, through the tribulation period, and they will live to be a thousand years old. The curse is gone off the earth, and God restores it. Men will live, women will live to be nearly a thousand years old. The Bible tells us that if a child, if a person dies at a hundred years old, they'll be considered a child. That's kind of weird. You'll actually get your house paid off. But you look at this and you realize that this is what's going on. But here's something else to remember. During the millennial reign of Christ, there's still going to be people with the old sin nature. The Bible tells us that we need to be born again. Not only today, but during the millennial reign of Christ. You must be born again. There is something inherited in humanness called the old sin nature. 
Sinning does not make you a sinner. Sinning proves what you are. There's a big difference. So understanding that, as we look at this, God gives man the Ten Commandments. Now, the Bible tells us a lot about this old sin nature. Something you need to understand. The Bible said it's not within man to live righteously. We are rascals by nature. We are lawbreakers by nature. We don't even know we do it. You could observe it in your children, but if you really kind of get sensitive in your own little world, you'll go to a door. It'll say, push, we'll pull. It'll say, wet paint, don't touch, got to check it out. It's just the way we are. Speed limit says 55. Hey, you can go 57, they won't give you a ticket. We are lawbreakers by nature. But the Bible says that we want to be more like Christ. And so when we understand this old sin nature, when we understand what the Ten Commandments were, and again, going back to Exodus 20, where the Ten Commandments were initially given in the hearing of all the people of Israel at the base of Mount Sinai, where they had all gathered. God spoke from the fire, the the mountain, the clouds, the lightning from the mountain. And the Bible says all the congregation of Israel heard God speak in an audible voice. That'd been pretty cool, huh? God heard them. They all heard God speak and when he heard, when they all heard God speak, they said, all that God has said, we will do. Now, I believe that's very significant because I believe when a person says, all God that you say, I will do. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I believe God puts your name in the book of life. Not everybody's name is in the book of life. He, uh, the book of Revelation 13, 7, 17, excuse me, 13, 8, 17, 8 says, and those people who are not, names are not written in the book of life, worship the beast and his image, which means basically the whole world. The idea that everybody's name is in the book of life and then you do something really rotten and your name is taken out of the book of life is not biblical. Your name is in the book of life because you have chosen to obey what God has said. Thy kingdom come, as Jesus taught the disciples. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, we have the Ten Commandments given. We have God telling Moses, you better hurry down. You got problems in River City. Let's pray. Father, as we read these words today, may your Holy Spirit cause them to come alive that we will not forget them. And Lord, that we see the futility and the foolishness of making gods ourselves, And so we ask you now to bless this. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you keep, remind us of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's go to verse 15. We covered the first part of this last week. And Moses turned and went down from the mountain. Now, again, uh, he had to get down in a hurry because there was problems. We remember that, that Moses went up to the mountain with Joshua. Yes, the same Joshua at the Battle of Jericho. That same Joshua, okay? They went up the mountain. Joshua waited at a place. Moses went on up further and, and spoke with God. So it says, he came down from the mountain. The two tablets where the testimony were in his hand. This is where the old saying comes, 
Moses, uh, your people give me a headache. Take two tablets and call me in the morning. Okay. The two tablets of the testimony were in his hand. The tablets were written on both sides, on one side and on the other they were written. Now, the tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. That had to be something when Moses saw this being, this is probably the first illustration of laser etching in the, wor- in the world. But he actually carved it right out of the mountain and gave it to Moses. Now, I imagine they weren't real thick. I don't think God would give the law in a burdensome form. But in other words, they weren't some solid gold plate where it logically would be impossible to lift up where they weigh 500 pounds. I believe these were probably like uh, a little thicker than probably uh, tile that you would get at your local hardware store or something like that where it was cut on both sides. And it says... And when Joshua heard the noise of the people, as they shouted, he said to Moses, there is noise of war in the camp. But he said, it is not the voice of those who shout in, it it is not the voice of those who shout in victory, nor it is the voice who cry out in defeat. It is the voice of those who sing that I hear. Now wondering what in the world does this mean? So it was, as soon as he came near the camp, he saw the calf and the dancing. And so Moses became angry. His anger became hot. And he cast the tablets out of his hand, broke them at the foot of the mountain. Now it says they were dancing around. The word in the Hebrew applies they were dancing around the calf naked. It's like an orgy is what they were, they, they were all into, doing all this weird stuff going on. Then they took the calf, which they had made. He burned it with fire and ground it into powder and scattered it on the water and made the children of Israel drink it. Well, that's kind of weird. The golden calf, he takes and he burns it, melts it back down from what it was. Then he ground it up. He put it, he put it in the water and made the children of Israel drink it. Something you won't find in any biblical commentary is a story on this, but you will find it in medical manuals. Now, I don't want to be gross here, so I'll do the best I can to make it as nice as I can, okay? They ate the ground-up gold. They drank it, but it same as eating it because it didn't... Well, you all know that... I'm trying to be as kind as I can be here. You know when you eat something and it's not digested, what happens to it? Can you imagine the children of Israel one day worshiping this calf, then it being melted down and grounded up, and they eat it, and then they go off and go to the bathroom. And as they walk away, they leave behind them little sparkly things. Now again, friends, you can check this out in the medical manual. You don't have to take my word for it. 
And you won't find it in a Bible commentary, but the fact of the matter is the goal wasn't digested, and here is their God that they worship mixed with feces. That's what God thought of their idol. You think about that for a minute. Somebody last week, I mentioned this too, and they said, boy, now if you had a metal detector, go back out there where they were. There'd be gold out there. I was in a Bible study one time. There's a dirt road. I was in a Bible study one time. And the Bible says that when Jesus Christ comes back, he puts his foot on the Mount of Olives. The Mount splits in half. The Bible speaks of massive tectonic plate movement during the tribulation. And especially when Jesus comes back and puts his foot on the Mount of Olives. And the Bible says that the Dead Sea will be fresh water again. It'll flow. And somebody said in the Bible, they said, well, what we need to do is go over there right now and buy land up all along the Dead Sea. It's going to be worth a fortune. And I go, how do you think like this? Anyway, another whole topic. But the point is that they saw their God become nothing. In fact, irreproachable where you wouldn't even want to touch it. And so he says, he made them drink it. And Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? So Aaron said, now Aaron is Moses' brother. When Moses was called by God to go tell Pharaoh to let the people go, Moses told God, but, 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 but I can't talk, talk, talk good. And God didn't buy his excuse. He said, then take your brother Aaron and let him be his, your spokesman. So he goes to Aaron. Aaron, now you got to remember, had seen the miracles before Pharaoh. The ten miracles were brought upon the land of Egypt by Moses through Aaron They saw the pillar of fire by by night, the cloud of smoke by day to keep the sun off their little bald heads. And so all of this was going on. And Moses says to Aaron, what did they say to you to cause you to deviate so far from what God wanted? And so Aaron said, do not let the anger of my Lord become hot. You know this people, that they are set on evil. Now, again, reminiscent of the Garden of Eden, (laughs) where God says, why did you eat of the tree? And we remember Adam says, well, that woman you gave me. Now, if there's a problem here, God, it's either you or her. Don't blame me, not my circus, not my monkey. Now, wait a minute. Why are you naked? Who told you you were naked? Well, that woman you gave me. In other words, Adam didn't assume any responsibility for his sin. The old sin nature is to blame somebody else for what is wrong. Now, there's a lot to this. I shared the story last week about the king of Russia. Years, well, well, they still had a king, went through one of the prisons And as he's going through one of the prisons, he would talk to the different uh, inmates that were there in prison. And he came to one, 
And after he talked to the others, no, I'm innocent, I shouldn't be here, he came to one guy and, and, and he said, are you guilty of your crimes while you're in this dungeon? And he said, yes, I'm completely guilty. The king looked at his helpers and, and he said, get this man out of prison right now. He said, I can't have this evil man corrupting all these good people in prison. The king gave him a pardon because he admitted his sin. But that's not within the nature of man. We want to blame somebody else for what we've done wrong. Well, that woman you gave me, or, or well, I stole because I didn't have enough money, or I, I did this because of this. And we all have our excuses. And we think that in some way we have our little deal with God, that God will smile at me because even though I know I sinned, well, you know, I was entitled to it. Well... This is the problem that we run into with Aaron. Well, you know, they're a group of people bent on sinning. For they said to me, make us gods that shall go before us. As for Moses, the man who brought us out out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. And I said to them, whosoever has any gold, let him break it off. And they gave it to me. I cast it into the fire and whammo, this cat came out. Wow. Now, this is what you call telling a lie. And in the words of Adolf Hitler, if you're going to lie, tell a big one. This is a big one. I said to them, you give me your earrings. I threw this into the fire and this is what came out. Well, very clearly, if you go back to the first part of the chapter, it says that he formed it. Yes, it is true. And you'll find that in a lie, there's an element of truth. There is an element of truth in that they did break off their earrings. They did give him gold. But where the lie comes in is we threw it into the fire and this is what came out as if it was some kind of divine miracle. Friends, this is kind of weird because, again, you understand that Moses knows God. Moses knew that this just didn't happen or come out. Well, Moses saw that the people were unrestrained. Now, again, going back to the dancing around naked. For Aaron had not restrained them to their shame among their enemies. Then Moses stood in the entrance of the camp and said, Whoever is on the Lord's side, let him come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together to him. And he said to them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Let every man put his sword on his side and go in and out from the entrance to entrance throughout the camp. And let every man kill his brother, every man his companion, every man his neighbor. In other words, those that were part of this insurrection, dancing around the golden calf, you execute them. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of the Lord, about 3,000 men of people fell that day. Then Moses said, consecrate, which means set yourself apart, 
yourselves today to the Lord, that he may bestow on you a blessing this day, for every man has opposed his son and his brother. It is interesting when all of this is going on, there were friends and relatives and people that they knew, but they realized the offense to God of making a golden calf was so bad that it didn't matter. And God says, I will bless you in spite of what you just had to do. And it came to pass on the next day, Moses said to the people, you have sinned a great sin. So now I will go up before the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. This is interesting to me concerning Moses. Moses having a real love for the people that really didn't deserve it, but he loved them anyway. And in fact, we remember as you go back to the first part of this chapter, God says, let me just wipe them out, Moses, and I'll start all over with you. And Moses goes, God, uh, the PR on this would be terrible. This is my paraphrase. The PR on this would be terrible that you saved them all out of the land of Egypt and then you destroyed them all in the, in the wilderness. We find that Moses continued to intercede for people, and here it is, friends, that didn't deserve it. I look at this very similar to the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, where we remember Agabus, the prophet. He was a prophet in those days. He predicted a famine that would come upon uh, the land, and so it helped those believers in Christ make it through. When Paul goes and Agabus shows up, he takes Paul's girdle or his outer garment, and he wraps it around his hands, and he says, so is the man when he goes to Jerusalem that you'll be bound. And Paul says, I don't care if I'm going to be bound I want to share Jesus with my Jewish brethren. Did they deserve it? No. They were the conspirators that many of them are the ones that killed Jesus. But yet Paul had a supernatural divine love for unlovable people to share the gospel with them. I've shared this many times before, but if you look a cursory overview of the gospels, You'll see where it says, and Jesus, seeing the multitudes, had compassion on them. He loved them in spite of their lost, deplorable condition. Now listen, these guys just got done dancing around a golden calf. They just lost 3,000 men. And Moses still intercedes for them. Friends, this is what love is. You know, we have such a very poor understanding of love in our culture today. We use the word in songs, tomorrow is Valentine's Day and I love you in little hearts, you know. And now with your phones, you can add all the little hearts you want. It comes up, you go boom, 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 and you can have a whole page of little red hearts. But we have a bad concept of it because our word love has been defined by our society. I use this illustration. I know for many of you, you're sick of hearing me do it, but for you new people, I'm doing it for you. The Beatles said, all you need is love. All you need is love. My album will be on sale. All you need is love. They broke up and sued each other. 
Is that the kind of love you want? But that is integrated into our society that love doesn't really mean anything. Remember the song, if you can't be with the one you love, love the one you're with. Remember that? How did that work out for you? For all of you that are paying child support. The world is a liar and the things thereof in it. The Bible says that Satan is the father of all lies, and he's the God of this world. What else do you expect to see? I have to really look at everything that I hear, everything that I believe to be from the word of God. I have to have the anvil, the word of God, that wears out many hammers. Now, the reason I say that is because the world talks about love, but it's always conditional. I love you if. God says, I love you, period. And I love you in spite of where you're at in the world. See, we're not used to that because we're used to having to perform to be recognized or to be loved or to be accepted. God just says, I love you, period. And because of that, I believe that as we receive from God, we can give. If you've got a million dollars, you can give money away. If you don't have five cents, you can't give anything hardly away. So the point is this. I believe that Moses recognized God's goodness in his life. Now remember, Moses knew God, but he didn't always walk with God. Remember when he saw the Egyptian beating up on a fellow Hebrew when he was really in line to probably inherit Egypt. And we remember that he saw this Egyptian beating up on a fellow Hebrew and he went out and he killed the Egyptian, buried him in the sand. We remember Moses, again, throwing down the Ten Commandments, breaking them. We see Moses is not a perfect man, but the one thing that you always find is he always has this enduring love for his kinsmen. You see, we have a kinsman in the world right now. It's called the world, and they're lost. Do you know why people do the stupid stuff they do? The Bible says they're in darkness. Have you ever noticed that about your own life? You go, why am I doing this? And we've said, I would never do that. And then we find ourselves doing the very thing that we said we'd never do. Do you know who else said that? The Apostle Paul. The things I want to do are the things I don't do. And the things I don't want to do are the things I do. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this death? And you think about that and you go, wow, (laughs) how, how did I get here? We don't realize, I believe, how powerful the darkness of this world really is. And I don't care whether you go into the political realm. I don't care if you go into the relationship part of of this world or whatever. The darkness that is in the world today is so dark. Now, the Bible says that God, Jesus is light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. Why does it say that? Because God's light reveals. If you turn all the lights out in this building, and you're here in the middle of the night, which I have done, 
And I think, well, I'm just going to come down and get my Bible that I left on the stage. And you try to walk from those doors down here. I'm telling you, you can find things with your feet and your knees you never knew were here. Because it's in the dark. You don't see it. When the light comes on, it reveals where things at. It reveals what truth is. In the dark, anything's believable. Any path seems to be good, even though there's obstacles in the way. It doesn't matter because if I don't see it, it won't bother me. Really? Well, that's what happens. And so Moses intercedes for his people. First, they don't deserve it. Number two, he was angry with them, but not angry to the point of abandoning them. The Bible says to be angry and sin not. We can be mad at the world. You can be mad at certain issues and people and politicians and whatever, but we never want to forget they are not beyond the salvation of Jesus Christ. And our our job is not to say, well, I'm just not going to talk about it. No, we can expose what they do. But at the same time, we want to pray for them that they come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So he says, I will go and make atonement for your sins. Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, Oh, these people have sinned a great sin, and they have made for themselves a God of gold. Yet now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, blot me out of your book, which you have written. And the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. Interesting. He goes to God and he says, forgive their sin. This is what an intercessor does. Remember Jesus nailing the uh, nails in his hands. He said, Father, what? Forgive them. They know not what they do. Moses is doing the same thing. You'll find that in God, there is the forgiveness. So why is that? What you've received from God, you can give. If you've been forgiven, you can forgive. If you recognize how much God has saved you from, as in the the condition of Moses killing the Egyptian guard and burying him in the sand, and Moses knowing God forgave him for that, Moses then realizes that people need an intercessor. And God, you didn't kill me when I did something wrong. Please don't kill them. And if you're going to kill them, blot my name out of the book of life as well. And God says, Moses... You're weird. I'm not going to blot your name out of the book of life. That was a stupid request. But I will blot those out who are in rebellion to me. Do you see that, the difference? Moses is willing to put his lot in with the people who sin, and God says, that's foolish, Moses. I'm not going to blot your name out, but I will blot out those who are in rebellion to me. Now, therefore... Go, lead the people to the place which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel, notice the capital A there, which would probably indicate a theophany or a picture type of Jesus. My angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day that I visit punishment, I will visit punishment upon them for their sin. By the way, no sin goes unpunished. Now, You can either let God and Jesus Christ take away your punishment, 
or you can stay in an unrepentant state and you will pay the price for your sin. It's a choice. I, a person that's got, you know, IQ two points higher than a dirt clod would say, I let somebody else take my punishment. You say, well, why don't people do that? I'm glad you asked. Because they're in darkness. Darkness blinds people to reality. Now remember, darkness is caused by pride. In fact, the Bible says pride is the ingredient in every sin, is pride. Now what does that do? Think about it for a minute. You can talk to a person on their deathbed. You need Jesus. No, I don't need Jesus. I'm going to get up out of this bed and I'm going to go do whatever. Well, I'm, you know, you know, I don't need to accept the Lord. I'll, I'll wait till I'm 85 years old and I've got, I've got tubes in my arms and, and I look like the spaghetti factory and, and then I'll accept the Lord. You don't have any guarantee of that. Look at the obituary column in the newspaper. Not everybody dies when they're 95 years old. Some people die of car wrecks when they're 20. Tomorrow's not promised to anybody. So when a person's in darkness, they don't realize how fragile life is. Listen, friends, pride, darkness, is a very deceiving thing. It makes a person think they're invincible, they're never going to die. It makes a person think they're bigger than they really are, i.e., enter Isaiah chapter 14, where Satan says, I will ascend and be as the Most High God. You're a created being, Lucifer, and you're going to go up. That's like a pinto going up against the Ford Motor Company. You're a created being. You're not greater than the thing that created you. But pride does that. People have asked this question, and I think it's a very uh, worthy question. If Satan's going to lose in the end, which if you read Revelation, we see that he does. In fact, the Bible clearly tells us what's going to go on. And that he's going to end up in the lake of fire, which burns forever, as well as all those who reject Jesus Christ after the great white throne judgment. If Satan knows he's going to lose in the end, why doesn't he just cry uncle and just say, okay, sorry? You know why? Pride blinds people, things, angelic forces to reality. I really believe in the end, Satan today still believes he's going to win against God. I believe that's what the whole Holocaust thing was over, which we just, they just had the um, dark anniversary of that last week. And, and, and you look at that, and, and uh, to kill all the Jews off, thereby nullifying that through you, Abraham, all the nations of the world would be blessed, it would ruin the book of Revelation, and so just kill all the Jews. This is what Hitler's idea was. Crazy. Darkness. Pride. And so we got to remember that anything that exalts itself against the Lord um, really brings about 
more darkness. You know, the Bible says when we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. Not acquaintances one with another, but fellowship because we walk in the light. Notice the last verse, verse uh, 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 35, he says, So the Lord plagued the people because of what they did with the calf with which Aaron made. They didn't get away with it. And you know, people today aren't going to get away with it either. That's why you need to have Jesus. Because if you don't have Christ in your life, you will stand before God in your sin. And you will also bear the consequences of sin in your life, in this life. You know, the Bible talks about God's grace and God's mercy that is extended to believers. Friends, we need God's mercy. There is none righteous. No, not one. That's why we need that. And if it wasn't for the mercy of God in our lives, even as Christians, we would all be fried. That's why God's good. But the world isn't, doesn't have that. They bear the marks of their sins in their life, in the lines in their face. You can look at a person's face and you can get a pretty good idea of what kind of life they live by the way that, that hurt has cut lines in their face. You know that look, that hard look that you see sometimes in people? Yeah, that's what God wants to fix. You got a God that heals, a God that loves, a God that restores. And the Bible says that God doesn't take joy in punishing people. But sometimes it's the only way people will understand you're on the wrong road. I don't think any parent here likes to spank their kids. But you know, if you don't, the police are not going to spank your children with that love that you have towards your child. They'll just beat them. Or the thug. Or somebody else. You see, this is what God wants to do in our lives, is to give us a Savior. And that Savior was Jesus, who came and took your and my punishment. This morning, if you're not a Christian, I want to invite you to consider Christ. Have you walked in the darkness enough that you're sick of it? See, this is what repentance is. Have you stumbled over enough stuff in life to realize, boy, that was a dumb thing to do. And God says it's time to walk in the light as he is in the light. This morning, if you're not a Christian, and you say, I'm tired of living the way I've lived, or, Lord, I've walked away from you, and I thought I could do it better on my own, I'm sorry. God stands there with his arms wide open saying, come home. Just like the prodigal son, the Bible says the father saw his son a long way off. After he'd eaten with the pigs, after he lost everything that he had, the Bible said his father saw him a long way off. You know what that tells me? His dad was looking for him. And he ran to meet him. And he put a robe on him and a ring on his finger and put shoes on his feet and welcomed him home. That's what God wants to do to you today. If you're tired of the world. Got some good news. There's a 
heaven that Jesus has went to prepare for us. I want to see you all there. This morning, if you're wanting to say, okay, I've had enough, I want you to pray this and mean it from your heart. Just repeat what I say and mean it, and God will do what you ask. He'll take away the punishment. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous. No, not one. But God extends his mercy to us. I want God's mercy on you today. And then I want God's grace on you. Do you know the difference between mercy and grace? Mercy is not getting what you deserve. You don't go to a judge for speeding and say, give me what's coming to me, judge. (laughs) No, no, you don't want to do that. You want to say, mercy, judge. I'm sorry, I'll I'll slow down. I won't go 100 miles an hour in a school zone anymore. That's mercy. Grace is God giving to you what you don't deserve. His goodness is poured upon you. You say, but God, I'm not good enough. I don't deserve it. And God says, I know, but I just want to love on you. That's what God does. If you need to get right with God, let's pray right now. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. And I invite you into my life today. I repent of the foolish way that I have lived. Take away the darkness. And Father, let me walk in your light. I believe Jesus died on the cross for me. His blood took away my sins. And he rose from the dead to give me life every day. So now fill me with your Holy Spirit. Empower me to love you more and to love people around me, God. And thank you for writing my name in your book of life. And so now I commit my life into your hands. In Jesus' name, amen.